The Highland Fair was, was a gathering place. Why we called it the Highland Fair is it was a fair where cattle were sold in the winter time. And as you know, there was no master running that time only, there was a fair. And all the farmers from the surrounding districts, as far as maybe 10 or 15 miles away, brought their cattle in and stood them on the side of the street. And the buyers, or as we call them that time, truckers, they were, they were gangsters, right? when I think of it now, would come and they would be buying the cattle. Off from the farm in the street, and they'd be hand shaking and hand slapping, and some farmers would be satisfied with what they were getting. More farmers wouldn't, and that went on for hours. It went on from five o'clock. We would leave our own home in Milford, seven miles away, at approximately half one or two o'clock to walk to the fair in Charlton, and we could arrive there maybe at five at six o'clock after walking cattle that distance. I loved this old shed when we were kids. We called it the old shed because everything in it was like from my father's time or his father's time. And like it could have, we'd have the big old clocks and there's an old dresser, old mantelpieces. There was always something new somewhere if you'd rooted around long enough. And uh, we used to take the clocks apart and put and put them together. We could never put them together again, of course. We were always in here making things, sawing up, sawing up bits of old timber and making trolleys or there's even an old toolbox there where I had the side stone for the side and uh, I made that when I was about what, 10, I'm still here we live on top of a hill which means that you're kind of exposed to all the elements and there's always a lot of wind here, a lot of rain and the main type of farming that we do is mainly beef and sheep and uh, the last well the last well was starting to breed our own calves and which means that we don't go... Well, we are going to the market as often as we used to, but in theory we shouldn't be, but we seem to be producing and getting more and more intensive. I mean, things have changed a lot around here in the last 10 years. Farmers got very competitive, and I think really the small farmers on on the way out, and uh, you have to produce more, and and plus the main part of the farmers' income, or main part of our income, is from Europe nearly. I'm not at home all the time now. The younger brothers here farming all the time. But uh, I love the land. I love coming home. It's kind of a break away from the, away from the city, and uh, I think once you've been brought up in the land, you never forget it, and you always want to come back to it. And uh, while I wouldn't, I'd never be able to make a living off it, and uh, maybe my notion of home is kind of very romantic. But I like it. I used to love going off on my own with the side because it meant I was totally away on my own. I always brought a book with me. It was kind of funny because. I remember the first time he sent me out, I mean, the scythe was nearly twice my height. And I was sent down, down the back. And uh, every now and again, somebody would stop up, like a tourist or something like that, to take a photograph of me with the scythe, this little boy hanging onto this big, big uh, scythe. My proud as punch, thinking I was doing a great job flying it. In a seven by, they were looking at a good strong man. There was mighty tension between farmers for a good seven by, and they'd be always trying to find out, like, you know, if they could, would there be such a fuller? There was, we heard there was a good man last year, such a place, if he's there, I'll hire him today. But this would go on. What they were, why they would hire a seven by is you had a farmer with a family, with a big lump of land, good lot of old milking cows, horses did a lot of tillage, and he wanted a, a seven by. Some of them hired two seven by's. And they had to do the extra work in the hard work, the first to be there. 
And how long would they be hired for? They'll be hired from the date, whatever date the fair would be in January, until Christmas Eve, which was the 24th of December. And it was, remember now, it wasn't the 22nd or 3rd. They worked to the dark that night on the 24th. I often met, I knew of them going on with their old bicycles and their old belongings tied up on it, and they overjoyed going out with a few pounds in their pocket home for the Christmas. What was important, we say, from the farmer's point of view uh, in a servant boy? Like, what were the skills he was looking for? <laughs> there was no skills. The only skills he would ask, are you able to plough? Are you a good milker? And they'd refer sometimes to a dry milker and a, a wet milking. But the important skill was strength. I've seen farmers make the servant boy take off his coat and show his muscles, and he'd say, Jill, his great muscles, they're like duck eggs. That's the fellow for me, you know. And then he'd say, pull up your trousers. And he make, I see, pulling up their trousers, showing if he's hairy legs, he's in business, he's good for the job. And if he's hairy hands, he's good for the job. Yeah. Oh, what was the difference between dry milking and wet milking? Oh, the dry milking was very important. You heard some farmers, <sighs> there was an old belief, do you understand, that if you wet your hands and you're milking the cows, that the cows, cows just get what they call, I've better it myself, pock from too much wetting or too much milk. You pull the milk, or the first a lot of milk was pulled down on the hands and it was rubbed to the tits and the tits were kept wet all the time and occasionally the tips, if they were sore, they, it would affect them, the wetting milking. But the dry milking, no wetting whatsoever. And it was a technique, I never tried it, but it was a technique in itself and there were some great dry milkers. And they'd just bring a cloth with them, they'd wipe the other, as we call it, the bag of the cow, the tits, and they'd milk away into the bucket, dry milking. I used to always sing that tune or try and whistle it and I'd be coming down here to work with the scythe down here to Dolan's. We call it Dolan's because we bought it off Jimmy Dolan's. You can see his house down there. That's where he used to live. He died there a couple of years ago so we bought the land when he died. And um, I used to always whistle that tune. I'd be down with the scythe and have my book with me and I'd be as happy as Larry down here now on my own and working away at the headlands. Because see the tractor can't get in around there where I was cutting them there. You can't get in with the tractor there because it's too rough. And uh, we're going to clear it away and do more like what we did down in Clumorot, reseed it and plough away all the dirt and to make it more productive, I suppose, is the word you'd use. This land here is in, is in my name, so I have a, a special love for it, a special grow for it. And just uh, I spent many a day down here working away on my own, picking stones or, as I said, working with the side. The book I have here with me today is The Days of the Servant Boy. It's by a guy called Lee McDonnell, who I met there a couple of weeks ago. And uh, when I read the book, I had the impression of a guy who was going to be weather-beaten and sort of like a hard, hard, tough man with big hands and 
I said lines in his face from the harsh weather and but it wasn't like that at all. He was a man he was from Cork and he had a real Cork accent. A clever man, a cute Cork man now. He's full of life, full of energy. And uh, I couldn't believe I mean I never knew anything about Servant Boy. I never heard of that going on around here. And I think that it didn't really happen that much here in the West because the farms were always too small and that people just grew enough to survive and that was all they wanted and they were happy with that and there was no big farms then not like we'd say here today so it probably went on most went on mostly I think in the south and in the north and probably in the east as well but I found the whole thing fast it was a whole new way of life I mean all I've known you know all I've known is like the EEC and you know where farming is going now is it's like mass production and you know, reclaim, we're reclaiming land and we're putting up fences and everything is getting to be like straight lines. Whereas the old farms, like what don't even here, don't now see the stone wall along here and it's meandering along, like it's not like a straight line. And there used to be a house there where that quarry is now. And you'd wonder about the people who lived there. Every now and again, you come across like a horseshoe or an, an old bottle or a funny shaped bottle, and you notice it isn't of like we'd say this, this our generation that it came from a different time. You wonder what happens then. When the deal was done, then you see the farmer would just take me this and he'd take in, in Charlie with and he said, Charlie, you'll have to have a drink. And he'd drink that, he'd give me me myself, but there was no whiskey, because whiskey was due to you, to two or three pints or some four pints of that, but he'd give him those stouts with you, and he could have a me stout or two. And I remember one very shrewd fella, he used to tell us, he wasn't drinking at all, but he, when the family would bring him in any time he was hired, he'd say, you'll have a me stout, no I don't drink, but I'll have a small player, the small player was just the same price of the me stout, and he'd have his pocket full of small players, maybe after me. But they'd come along then, do you understand, but... Um, I, I, I remember one time there was this fellow there and he was, oh, he was a well-to-do family and then a good neighbour, and I'll, I'll tell the truth about him, with a big family. And he went and he had a share of cattle and he got the help from the neighbours bringing the cattle and he sold the cattle. And the wife came against him in the Hurston Trap. And in the Hurston Trap, he got no, she brought him home and he had his servant by and he had a few drinks in the town before they left, and he was getting hypnotized. And as the people, the neighbors just said, him, you'd hear him all over the countryside talking to the, the seven boy now wasn't in the cat trap with him at all. He had his own bicycle behind, he brought his belongings in the bicycle, and he cycled his bicycle after the trap. And the father, father was riding the trap, and it was like, you know, like you'd be going on camping for an ele- election, you'd hear him shouting all over the place, questioning the seven boy. But talking loud in a way the neighbours would hear him, that he knew that they'd know he brought a good man with he the servant boy hired. And then he pulled into a, a little passing village and he had more drink. The wife had done a lot of shopping. And the servant boy and he, he'd be inside he said he was getting his dander up the farmers and the servant boy, he was getting kinda of fond of the servant boy, call for a drink, and then he'd put his hand in his pocket, he'd pull out his shield or two, and he'd throw it in the ground and say, Pick that up. And he'd be delighted to see the servant boy. And bloody like you talk to dog today, you know. And where did the servant boy sleep then? Well, he slept in the side in the back kitchen. He might have a back kitchen there that would be attached to be a new offer. The, 
of the main building, which where they kept meals and where they kept every kind of rubbish, or otherwise there were a lot of them kept them in the loft. The loft was a famous place. That was a, 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 up maybe over the hay barn or maybe over the cow house or it could be a, an independent little house. I remember having them having built little independent houses where they keep probably harness or the horse underneath and they probably keep parades and different things. And then the boys would have a ladder and they'd go upstairs and they had their own bedroom up there. And what would the bedclothing be like? They'd have the best of an either down. They'd have a horse cover for an either down. And they'd have they'd have a few old blankets. Then they had no mattress. The mattress that time was all old bags all together and it filled with straw. I remember being that way. I remember as a matter of fact that teasing out the straw in the month made to have a dry for the mattress. An old mattress of straw and they might have an old what they call a tick. You never heard of a tick. Now a tick was a, 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 like a bag. It was a, like a calico calico sewed together. They was, what they used to do was they used to have the floor bags and they used to wash them and dry them and they'd sew the floor bags together and they'd make a tick out of it and into that they'd put the goose feathers or the hens for anything that was plucked. They would keep a lot of fowl in the farms, you know, and the feathers were always being kept. And that's what the tick was. That was to put over the old mattress for a silver boy. First thing you have to do is clear away all the stones first. Get them out of the way. There's no point trying to build it up. Well, you could build it up, but there'll be a cross at the beginning, it'll all fall down very quickly. So you have to build it up, take away all these stones first. Oops. It's close. There's a knack into it. I'm not that good at it now, but a fair idea now. Right, so first of all, you clear away all the breach, or what we call a breach or a gap, till there's like nothing left. Nothing left in the wall. There's just like a hole, and then what you do is you pick up the biggest ones and you leave them down there beside each other. And every every stone is like a different shape, so you have to try and twist them and turn them so they fit into place fairly fairly solidly, like that. And uh, you build up like two rows, one on the outside and one on the other side. So you have like almost two walls being built at the one time, and you build them up. You build them up. Build them up like that. And uh, when you've mopped a fair height, like about two or three rows, you pile in the smaller stones into the middle of it. Put all them small ones into it. The weather's got very cold the last week. It's been an awful change. It was very mild up to this and warm. And uh, so now it's getting really cold and we've cows calving and yo's lambing. They're having lambs. And uh, you have to really watch them. We're up half the night with them, watching them every night and that kind of thing. Because um, they're not able for the cold weather and they're very weak when they're, when they're having lambs because um, they're giving everything to the lamb. Anyway, this should stop them from jumping out here again.
pots are nearly built up. I won't be coming out here again. Oops. take a break for a bit but this farm here now has really got has changed an awful lot in the last uh, 10 20 years of my lifetime and I remember this these used to be all little small fields and um, we've clean, cleared away a lot of the ditches and made into one big farm like farming's getting really intensive and if you don't get intensive now you won't survive I think the day of the small farmer is nearly gone now at this stage like we've had to sort of branch out in different areas. We've got our own cows and we have our own bull and he bulls the cows when they come in heat and we have our own calves and we're trying to bring up our own stock all the time, trying to cut out, going to the mart and buying young cattle, which was what we always did. Dad would go to the mart and he'd buy what we call store cattle as in young cattle, which we would then finish off, keep them for the winter and feed them silage and that and finish them off uh, till they were ready to go to the factory or to the mart. But we... The idea of buying cows is that we cut out all that. But uh, funnily enough, because you have to intensify and get more numbers up, we're still having to go to the mart a lot. Now, servant boy in the morning, what would he feed the cattle and then... When you get up in the morning, first thing, of course, he gets you a quick cup of tea. Then he was out, and as I stated, in some of the places like they did, you see, the day before, they throw the hay down after the hay barn. There was no bears that time on your loose here, and at, all along the cow's heads, there could be a single buyer, there could be a double buyer, like we call them buyers now, but they were only cows at the time. And the cows, you see, would be back, uh, backside to backside along, and there'd be a distance of about five foot between the cows where you back in the horse and cart and clean it out. And his job in the morning was to go into the cow's heads, all along the cow's heads, there was a good wide passageway. There was hay there. His job was to go in the morning and put the hay out. It was a quick kind of a job, like handy, you put the hay out over the little wall, out to the cows, they were all tied up. Well, of course, in the winter time, you see, there would be uh, just a stripper maybe to be milked, you know. But no matter whether it was winter or summer, when the boy had his cup of tea, then, when the summer time came, the whole lot of the cows were milked, but they were not brought into milk in our time. They were milked outside. They were all milked outside the majority. When this man had only five or six cows, he'd bring them in or seven. But you'd see the whole lot of the cows being brought into one corner. The dog was trained to this. You tackled the horse or the donkey or whatever the case may be, a pony, and you brought the children out to the field or wherever the cows were. The cows were used to it. When they see the dog, they all come on and into one corner and they were all milked there by the milkers in one corner. And the milk was strained into the children. They had a fair bit of work done now before the breakfast. Oh, geez, they had, you see, they had got a supper of tea, you see, first before they went out a quick run. And then just to the breakfast when they came in, they'd, all the work was done. They'd be two hours at it, maybe sometimes two and a half. And they'd come on then, you see, and what they'd do was, there'd be one man then, you see, and Bill to go to the creamery when the... Uh, Things were big, like, you know, and the farms were big. And he might have come in in front of one, got a good bit to eat and be ready to take off the horse and cart for the cream. What would happen then, we say, after breakfast? What was the routine for a servant boy? The routine of the servant boy then after breakfast, as he was, we'd take, for instance, if the springtime was, like, up to April, there was the, the planting of the potatoes. 
That was a kind of a big job for a good few days. And then you had to get in, prepare every one of these seven boys or horsemen who were able to work with horses. And then they'd be preparing ground for to sow turnips and mangoes and you name it. And then some farmers did the cash crop. Like, you know, it was great that time in old days you had the cash crop of beet. And they'd be ploughing and preparing ground for beet. And I'd give days and hours, which I did myself. I often walked for hours. I often gave up ten or eleven o'clock at night walking after a pair of horses harrowing ground. And I'm telling you, when you would have that done for a day in the warm weather, you'd be fairly, you'd be fairly, you wouldn't be anxious to be fooling around anyway. Now, what happened to the dinner time? Where would the servant boy sit and where what would he eat? And the servant boy would arrive into his own old nook at dinner time. <clears throat> and the setup of the servant boy was he had the old back kitchen. And that back kitchen was for the servant boy, and if there was a servant girl there, she'd be on the same lines. And, and the eating was plenty of bacon. Plenty of carrots and plenty of turnips. And as they was telling me at the time, they was love the turnips and they was drink, mu- drink mugs of the turnip soup after. Oh, drink mugs. It was great for their stomach, man. They always say it was great, too, better than any sauce, which is all, and is today, especially with bacon. Oh, it's the best medicine you can get. But there they, they'd have an old tin plate then to be like something you'll see in, in Gunga dinner in the army or somewhere. And an old tin plate and the old knife and fork would be there and this old tin plate would be after seeing many servant by through the house for years and as the, when the lad says yes it was white and it was bought it said but it's black now because all the enamel is off it you know and that's what they have and they have plenty of there's no scarcity of eating you see but they ate there you see and they did their own washing up too and they was referred as going back to the dogs one fellow's referred he said yes there's no very easy wash my old plate I throw it to the dog and he licks it clean and he'd take to be lick, and he'd put it away, and he'd eat the poor boy, and he'd have that again tomorrow. But that was why they'd have some lads are good and tidy, and they'd clean the place out, you know. And they'd make their own stuff. They had their, they had an old fire there in the corner, in, in the back kitchen. There'd, there'd, be, there'd be some cooking done there, too. And they'd make an old stuff here, there, for themselves. And Would they be used to knives and forks now? Well, how they'd be used, not at all. Not, no, the majority wouldn't. Even I see my trash in the time. I see the craters peeling spots their nails. They were like, like they wouldn't. Jesus, but those big families reared and poor people. Right, they'd be delighted to get them here. I see fellows getting knives and forks, and they wouldn't bother to hurt them. They, they would, they might, uh, they take, they'd even take. I see, I'm going to, and I see the poor fellows, God love them. I see him taking up the fat meat and, and the fish and eating it all. That cow had to be milked out because um, she's only the one calf, and uh, well, well, we have twins actually. For the first time in about thirty years, we've uh, two sets of twins, and it never happened before. I never seen twins in our farm before, but this year there seems to be uh, there's been two sets. And uh, the problem there is that the cow that the set the twins are off, she has enough milk, and they're getting sick and ill and that kind of shivery with the cold. There's an awful change in the weather today, and uh, what's it called? But this one anyway is only one calf. So we had to milk her out because she gets stops and starts and that kind of thing. So that's why I was milking her out. But I'm going to try and get her to suck, um, get the, the twins to suck off her. See where she takes them. She'll actually be tied up. She's a bit wild. But um, it's not so often now I have to milk her But I do remember uh, when we were young, like at national school, myself and the brother, and we'd often have to, we'd take in turns to go down to Dolan's where the cow used to be and we'd have to milk her out and uh, for that milk for the house, like, and... Um, what do you call it? You go down there in your in the rally chopper before you go to school, and you'd milk the cow and bring her up, and Jesus, and surely to God, like some mornings it happened that she kicked the bucket over and all. There'd be no milk in the house, and they'd have to go in and buy milk, which was seen as sacrilege at that time. 
and uh, I used to hate it when uh, the cow would go onto the, the silage or the hay because there'd be an awful taste of milk for about a month afterwards and uh, as soon as and then if they change off this if they then when you got used to them eating the silage and the hay and the taste of the milk then that they'd be coming back onto the grass and they'd be let out in the spring you could notice the difference in the taste again in the milk and take another month to get used to that but um, we never we never bought milk until very recently I mean I remember when we first started buying milk it was seen as like a sacrilege almost and we used to keep our own like potatoes and carrots and onions and turnips over the, at the back field there we had a few drills there but um you know, it seems way farming, way things are going. That uh, too busy now for that, and you have to. It's watch your cattle and watch the cows and make sure that they're all right and watching them every night and that the, that the owes lamb okay and the cows calf all right. And um, no, we don't. We don't. We don't. Farming has changed completely from that subsistence or growing your own vegetables and that kind of thing because you just don't have the time anymore for that kind of thing. It's much easier just to go into the shops and buy them, which is a bit, I suppose, ironic, really. Anyway, I'll try and get these two cows to suck. work was finished what happened what did the servant boy do then or would he go out or would he get himself ready or she oh he was yes he got his own quarters and they must be delighted to have the old house the last like although they were not the thing like you know they, they were, it was um, as we say not not a hundred percent but they'd be delighted for privacy they wanted mm. to be away from the family life and he'd have a good shave then and he'd go out socializing for the night and well, what, what would he use to shave? He, but it was sometimes to see the the shaving, if they could, I often had the fellow saying, Jane, if I could sharpen a knife, I'd shave with it. Because blades were there at the time, they'd have a three-hole razor. That, that, some of them used the open razor, but you had the old folk like that, the open razor, and these younger lads were getting modernised, the three, the, what we call the three-hole razor, that was the blade, the safety blade. That's the first blade I ever remember coming out in three holes was Max Mile. He was smiling, turned upside down on the other hand, his face turned the other way. But they'd buy a max smile, and that cost a pity. And that would do them nearly for a month. Because they developed a technique that no one would, that like, it, it's strange when you're cutting a corner, you, and they, it was handed down to them. They could edge a blade, a tree, an ordinary, for a safety razor, with a wine glass, we call it. And they'd put it into the wine glass and they'd hold the finger against it and they'd roll it over and head there and change. They'd be counting as seven, six, seven, and and they could and they often kept that for a month, more months because keep no, the edge no financial to buy. Keep mm. the edge What yeah. do they do for a social life? Do they have that? Yeah, I think you mentioned the books about car drives and gambles. Oh yes, we the t- that was in the winter time. It was mighty. Card playing was mighty. And once in the winter, which was in October, came in, there'd be gamblers all over all part of the country. The gamblers, very, even the small farmers would have them, which would be mostly the people in the cottages have them, and the poor people. But small farmers would have them too, and it was a mighty night of the gamblers. There'd be a pair of cocks maybe put up, and there might be a pig. I remember a pig put up one time, and <clears throat> this fella, the, all the seven boys would, would come from all around the place, like, and there'd be to the shilling playing and 
they'd be playing all night and then they'd be playing for pennies because whoever would be knocked out to see to, there'd be a knockout then until Sister Emmett was fine down to the last two. Uh, I remember the seven by one night he was playing with Jez, he was in the, <coughs> he was in the look, the pig, there was a pig was put up and he won the pig. <coughs> And all the lads out there, and I know him, and they said, What do you think? How do you feel? Jensie said, I'm in an awful state sitting down here at the fire. He says, I'm just wondering, will I eat my drinking? <laughs> oh, would there be musicians there and brilliant. dancers? Were, and all these uh, seven boys came, they were all brilliant. They were brilliant musicians. They were brilliant at the concertina, the Malodge, and the violin, some great, with some great violin players, the Mozart, and they'd play anything, they'd make music out of anything. Anything at all, and you'd have the lad with that tin whistle, the clear lens, the clear lens, they came all great musicians. Uh, <clears throat> and the dancers, what, what would the dance on? Well, the dancer, there'd be a dance at, uh, like there'd be a Sunday night dance too, you know. Yeah. Sunday night dance was a great sort of because, like, the thing about it in those times, see, today it's Saturday, but in those times, you see, you had no dances of a, of a, of a, of a Saturday night. Saturday night was observed alone for. Uh, going to the church, going to confession, which was an important thing with those days. They went to, always went to the church on a Saturday night, and a Sunday night it was the dancing night, and they kept themselves to the veins and nicely for Sunday night, and everything had to be deadly after it. They were smoked the wood by we said during the week, <coughs> and <coughs> they'd smoked the pack of the players of a Sunday. They wanted to show off to the woman, you understand? Mm. And they'd have the shoes in as red lads or something. I want he'd have the shoes shining now, so when he looks down he'll see his face and the toes of the shoes they'd be shot shining. They'd have everything spot on. And they'd cycle to the dancers. The dancers could be maybe five or six miles away, they could be twenty miles away, but they'd cycle no matter. And when they'd be going to the dancers, they put on the uh, the old boots going and they'd cycle in the old boots and the old clothes. And when they come within which was a half a mile or there or they'd put into the ditch and they'd take off the old boots and they'd take off the old trousers, put on the good trousers, whether it be snowing or raining, and the shoes and they were game ball for the night. And what would go on? Would there be boys making shapes at the dances or huh? would there be boys making shapes or would they be fighting or Oh mighty to the world. Oh Christ, yes, but to see the thing about it was great at the time there was no knives that time. There was a good, decent fish fight. A fellow now might have his eye in a woman and he might be going with her, do you understand? And another fellow would come up and he'd go to take her off and just sort of going on to see at the dancers in the, in the wall, excuse me, waltzes. And a row developed. And when the row developed, you'd know when the row developed, you see the fellow throw it off the court and turn his cap back because they might be wearing caps and they'd wear them dancing and turning the cap back and the lads say, come on, follow him, out in the road. And they'd be a ring made outside the road and they'd be able to shout to one another and to be all over and that was it, no more about it. Oh, yes. It's late in the evening now, it's about in half nine, going on ten o'clock. And um, we call this field Connors here because there used to be Connors, I think they used to live here at some stage or another. I don't know where the house was or if there's no sign of it now. But um, 
this land here is about three or four miles removed from the house. There's about, what, 100 acres or more in it. It's getting kind of windy now, cold. But uh, we... This is uh, this farm now is under the, under the REP scheme, what we call Rural Environment Protection Scheme, and uh, what what that means basically is that the whole farm has to be, if it wants to benefit these grants, you have to agree to a five year plan, and um, and in that five year plan you agree to to fence your farm and to drain it and to look after the environment side of it, like there's no pollution going from the slatted shed down there to the to into the water stream, and this fort here that we're sitting on, this will be under the protection. We never, we, we, we did a lot of draining on this, or we got grants, and the first grants came in uh, years ago, but you know, it must be over 10 years ago, and uh, myself and the brother and the father, we, we picked stones from about, I think it was about 20 miles, 30 miles of drains, all in these fields here, and uh, at the time it was kind of wondering would we take away the fort, but uh, I think we decided against it, that it would, I don't know whether superstition or what it was, but we kind of liked them, and uh, you can really. This farm has like has really intensified in the last, let's say, the last fifteen years between the draining and the clean. I mean, this field here that I'm in here, there's about I don't know many acres in it. There's about twenty to thirty acres in it, and it's feeding a sight of cattle now and sheep. And um, like, if I remember when we were a kid, that uh, all this all all this field here now it's like one open sweep, and this used to be like ditches and hedges and rushes and. You couldn't. I remember trying to get cattle out. You'd be running through ditches and in through hedges, and you couldn't. It was an awful job to get them out because they could run around. practically run rings around you. You're supposed to like fence all your drains and your ditches to stop the cattle from going down, so that they won't pollute or break down the breaches and that kind of thing. Also, it's to help the flora and fauna to grow down in the ditches, and it's a good thing. Like it's you know it's promoting wildlife, and it means that. It's good for us too because we get the farm modernised and we get it cleaned up and don't worry about cattle thieving or straying or anything like that. We are also not allowed to cut our hedges a certain time of the year like when birds are nesting at this time of the year and that kind of thing and uh, so that, they won't, that they'll be able to have their eggs hatch. All this field was ploughed and was reseeded with peas and barley which we wrapped up into round bales for silage for feeding for down the slatted house here. Um, so we could feed the calves and that, and got, it was great feeding, and it was great stuff. And then we reseeded it, and uh, you can see it in the grass here. Well, there's been unnatural growth, grass growth this year anyway, but uh, this year was unbelievable. Like It was like after grass almost. But uh, we put on a few more sheep onto it and a few more bullocks on it, and uh, they've, they've eaten it down. And what did the girls? The girls had sort of... Ways of making the makeup last and that. Well, they had just a, a great hotel thing, of course, got help and say again, going back to the money, the famous uh, girls would love to powder their faces and they'd love to paint their faces, you see. And the paint that time was the red table. There was a red table that time, and no matter where you, uh, how what you're doing, if you damp the red table and rub it your hand to leave the red on your hand, and what they'd do is they'd keep the red table and they'd colour their face and be for two red cheeks, you know, they'd be like, I, you know what they'd be like, you know. they'd be like the sun going down with their cheeks, right? And then they'd be doing the eyebrows, and how they'd do the eyebrows is, they'd bring out, they'd written a bit of a stick, first in the fire before they leave, 
and burned that and they were black and they rolled that up in a bit of paper and when they get into that sometimes they might do up the eyebrows before they come out but if it was raining to be a, like they'd be to be all over their face they'd be like they'd be like they'd be an Indian painted down streaks down their face to see but they'd wash that off and when they go into the cloakroom then in the dance hall they'd rub on this they'd take this stick burn stick out of the paper and they'd rub it onto their eyebrows and they'll Yimba. I mean Clun Raw here has really benefited from from reps and from modernisation. It's feeding a lot more cattle. It's a lot more organised. It's better for my brother and my father during the winter because all the cattle are inside. There's no cattle outside and the shed is nearby and we can cut side. We're keeping the middle field there in silage. And we cut silage and just draw it down right beside the shed and feed them and there's no problems. A lot cleaner, a lot easier way of going on. Like I hear people talking about the good old days and, you know, things were better back then and they weren't better here anyway. They weren't from what I hear from people things were a lot harder I mean things are farming is better now if you have a big acreage you have to have the big acreage or you won't survive you have to get your numbers up because you won't survive otherwise the profit margin is too slim on each individual beast or sheep now would the servants boys and girls would they mix much with the farmers sons and daughters <laughs> well of course playing hunting they had to mix but um, a dance is no Oh no, mm. oh no, no mix at all. You might have the odd servant boy who dance with the farmer's daughter, but because they should be trying to fight him then, or you'd have the odd farmer's son dancing, he's like a servant girl, he dances her, but they'd be saying to him then, you know, give note about it, you see. And, oh, Jesus, class distinction, you could cut it with a knife, that time was desperate, desperate. But they looked down upon them. Oh, Jesus, your Christ, they were terrible of God. There was no protection at all from them. They were just a servant class, and that's it, no more about it. And you hear him saying, Oh, Jesus, did you hear such a folly? He's gone, a servant girl. Oh, God help us, he was a farmer's son. You know, though, Jesus, some of them married him, and they made great partners, and did bloody well. But we say we say a servant boy married the daughter of a farmer. Oh, no, he was. They couldn't stay. Oh, not the sort at all. Not at all. Not at all. Not a hope in hell. They'd have to go off. Oh, they'd have to immigrate straight away because they wouldn't be wanted around the locality at all. Yeah. And what about like when at meal times? Was there much like say a distinction there? Did that ever annoy you to see them being sent? Oh home? yes, I was at even the trash, and I was at the trash, and it was very sad. The trash is like you know when you think back of it, like. All the farmers around there would have two and three days trash and yard one might have an odd day, an odd day or something like that. But what happened then is when you went to the trash and like, you be the farmer's son, you'd be taken to the dinner. And when you go to the dinner as a farmer's son or all the farmers, they'd be all taken in the front doors and the servants would be all gone to the back door to a special old place for themselves. Seven boys and they were great lads. It was a shame to do it. But the years have crowded past us and the fledges all have flown. And the nest beneath the sugar loaf no longer is their own. For a hand has written finish and the book is closed for good. There's a stately red tile mansion where that old slab dwelling stood. There the stranger has her evenings and the formal suffer spread. But I wonder, has she trimmings now or is the rosary said? Ah, those little Irish mothers passing from us one by one. Who will write the noble story of the good that they have done? All their children may be scattered and their fortunes wine were hurled, but the trimmings of the rosary will bless them round the world. Right? All right, let's go in there.